Wow, is that great or what? You didn't know you were going to get a little Edgar Winter there this morning, did you? Uh, boy, that is, some, that is such a great song, and I think it's such a great song, not only because it just rocks, but also because it's, uh, which, if you didn't know, I'm kind of partial to, I guess you knew that, but if you know much about me, or have been here very much, but, um, but the words are just, so come on and take a free ride. Everybody's looking for freedom. Even those of us who are followers of Christ and who believe in this thing we call church, and that would be me, believe in freedom. Therefore, it's a great mystery to me, continues to be a great mystery, why from the time that I was first introduced to this thing called church, when I was two weeks old, um, that, although I didn't realize it then, they keep trying to just, oftentimes, not all of them, most of them, keep trying to infiltrate, and then in the name of Christ, infiltrate your freedom. Or more specifically, just begin taking it away. Not just infiltrate your life, but to begin taking it away. Uh, Thoreau said it this way, any fool can make a rule and any fool will mind it. You've probably heard me use that quote before because I like it a lot. And it's true. Somebody said you could probably just about make up any kind of religion that you wanted to make up and, and eventually people would follow, or at least some. And we found that true in the 70s, didn't we? We saw people drinking Kool-Aid, a tragic story of, uh, of Jim Jones down in Guyana and, and the church that he had led from Indiana to somewhere else to eventually end up in, in, in South America, and that tragic, tragic story that has long since been written about and movies made about and so forth. Any fool can make a rule, any, any fool will mind it. Um, a couple of weeks ago, there was a letter that uh, was in the uh, New York Times magazine, the Sunday magazine. And I don't know who this person is, but let me just show you the letter, or at least a part of it. Organized religion offers us comfort, but also pain. Even if it is merely the pain of restriction and regulation, of obeying the rules, it is an essential aspect of belonging to most churches. Eh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Wrong answer. Mr. Tobin, I wrote, a le- I wrote a letter to Mr. Tobin, and I knew this was going to happen. Um, I wrote this letter, and, and you know, I, I get this stuff to Steve, and he does it on, count, uh, on PowerPoint. I mean, I get it to him like two weeks ahead of time, okay? And um, <laughs> why am I getting snickers on that? That's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. I give it to him Thursday night or Friday morning or Friday night before Sunday. But... Um, um, Steve is like a censor. So here's the, I don't know what he's got. Here's the letter. I'm going to read my real letter. Let me show you, let me show you what letter he's got. Dear Mr. Tobin, have you ever heard of Renaissance Church in New Jersey? We don't have rules or membership, and we're not big on restriction, regulation, or pain either. So there, love in Christ, Rich Teeter's pastor. You want to hear the real letter? Here's the real letter. I have it here. Have you ever heard of Renaissance Church in New Jersey? We don't have no stinking rules, <laughs> membership, or even organization. Doing my part to stop that stuff. So there. Furthermore, you can kiss my blank. Love in Christ, Rich Teeters, pastor. That's the real letter right there, okay? I didn't send the letter, just, just in case you're wondering. Um, but you know what? He's right. He's right. I mean, you've you got to go back to that letter. Just go back one. Uh, he's, he's right about that. When you think organized religion offers us comfort, but also pain, 
merely the pain of restriction and regulation of obeying the rules. It's an essential aspect of belonging to most churches. I would like to tell you that's just total garbage, but it's true. Unfortunately, it's true. And those of you who are visiting with us, I'm not trying to be arrogant or prideful, but we, we, we really don't do that here. And because we're trying, we're trying really hard, and we don't, we, we're not 100% successful, of course, but we're trying really hard to eliminate all that stuff. That's why we don't do some of the stuff that, that churches do. And I'm not being critical of those who do. That's fine. Do what you want to do. But we're just not. And I have friends. Trust me, I have friends who I love and who I have utmost respect for who do those kinds of pastors in churches where you do those kinds of things. And, and, I, and I don't understand that, but I'm not them. And I can't answer for them. They can't answer. They think I'm crazy, but that's okay. It, 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 I have other thoughts. But... Um, so there you go. And that's one of the things that what we have done is equated this whole thing of church to, to following Christ and rules and regulations and membership and all this stuff and, 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 you know, just whatever. Let me give you another thought from a guy several hundred, couple of hundred, more than a couple of hundred years ago, Kempis, said this, he that strives to draw himself from obedience withdraws himself from grace. He that strives to, in other words, define himself from obedience withdraws himself from grace. You know, the church world, if I can call it that, um, has this, you've heard maybe this, this term, there have been a couple of movies made about it, uh, the fall from grace. And, and usually it's depicted by a person either that's supposedly religious or a minister or a priest or, or whomever and, and a rabbi, whatever, and, and they fall from grace because they end up in some sort of a whatever sinful type of relationship, whether that be with the opposite sex, the same sex, money, whatever it happens to be. And they, they, they have the fall from grace. And the, the Bible has, a, a, has that term fall from grace, but whenever the Bible in the New Testament uses that term, it's talking about people who go back to works, to, to trying to establish their, their righteousness by what they do or what they don't do. That's what the Bible calls a fall from grace. When you quit depending, leaning on the grace and the mercy of Christ because we all need it. Wherever we are in our own walk and journey of life, we all need it. You do, I do, we all do, wherever we are. I want to do this. I want to show you three very simple things um, of why Jesus was all about freedom. Jesus, the great liberator. Three very simple things. Have them for you here just to kind of follow along with me. And then we're going to go a couple of different places in in the Bible to see this because I want you to really get this point. The first one is this, freedom to overcome destructive actions and attitudes. That's the first thing. All right, let me me let you see that. Just think about that thought. Freedom to overcome destructive actions and habits. said attitudes, but habits. You want to call those sinful habits? I guess you can call it that. I'm not sure that that's always the best. Destructive habits. What kind of habits would those be? It might be a chemical dependency. It might be a person dependency. It might be... Certain words that you really know you shouldn't use. There are certain combinations of, wor- of words. It may, be a, it may be anger that you just can't shake, no matter what. It may be a lust. And whenever I say lust, 
you know, we automatically think of the opposite sex. Well, hey, there's a lot of other ways we can lust. I was in a couple of golf shops yesterday, and I lusted my heart out a couple of times. I'll just tell you. And it had nothing to do with people, okay? It had to do with graphite and <laughs> oversized heads and things like that. I mean, you know, and, and, and anyway. It, it could be anything. Cars, houses, stuff, income, jobs, um, whatever. People, other people's lives. Lust is just, it's just the desire for, for something different and more and, and, and that it, it could become unhealthy or does become unhealthy, actually. So, the freedom to overcome destructive actions and habits. Let me take you to this passage where Jesus is talking to Pharisees in John, the Gospel of John chapter 8, in verse 31, Jesus turned to the Jews who had claimed to believe him and he said this, this is he's talking to, to, to others, not just Pharisees, if you stick with this, Living out what I tell you, you are my disciples for sure. Then you will experience for yourselves the truth, and the truth will free you. Surprised, they said, but, but we're descendants of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone. Slaves to anyone. And again, that is not true. If you know anything, I mean, and, and you may not, and that's okay, but I mean, in, 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 in basic... Old Testament 101, one of the things you will learn is that Israel was in slavery to a number of different nations. The, Purge, the, the Persians, the Medes, the, 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 the Babylonians. Um, I mean, they were in slavery, and, and that's what gets me is that their, their arrogance here of some of these people is just amazing. They said, we've never been enslaved to anyone. Wrong. You've been enslaved a number of times, been overtaken and, and conquered by uh, kingdoms to the north and to the east and so forth or to the West, how can you say the truth will free you? We've never been slaved anyway. How can you say the truth will free you? Of course, you know, and here's, here's one of the cool things about, one of the many cool things about Jesus. Had I been Jesus, I would have said, you guys, what do you mean you've never been freed any, what do you mean you've never been slaves to anybody? You guys are idiots. Read your history. You've been slaves a number of times. But Jesus didn't do that because that's that whole thing, you know, do, you know what would Jesus do? You know, I, I don't always know what Jesus would do. I know most of the time it's not what I would do, but, but, but I know often that's the case. Um, Jesus just totally ignored this total historical neglect. Totally ignored it. Look what he says. Jesus said in verse 34, I tell you most solemnly that anyone who chooses a life of sin, chooses a life of sin, is trapped in a dead-end life and is, in fact, a slave. A slave is a transient who can't come and go at will. The Son, though, the Son, S-O-N, Jesus, the Son, though, has an established position, the run of the house. So if the Son sets you free, you are free through and through. Jesus is saying you can be slaves to some kinds of habitual wrongdoing and sin and and, and things that, that are destructive, whatever that might be. Now, let me take you to another passage. This is, in, this is not Jesus' words. These are the Apostle Paul's words reflecting on Jesus' words. Look what he says in Romans six fourteen: Sin is no longer your master. Here's my parenthesis. Or at least doesn't have to be. For you are no longer subject to the law which enslaves you to sin. Instead, you are free by God's grace. You're free by God's grace of destructive actions, 
and, and, and habits. You can be. It's an important note. When one has a relationship with God, he or she is given the ability to triumph over the most pesky, little pesky, to the, to the most destructive of addictions and sinful habits. Now, I want to I quickly add something to that. There's no formula. For some, it might take months or in some cases years of, of counseling or, or therapy. For some, it might come overnight where you just have one of those, one of those, you know, what they call, you know, just a real come to Jesus type of experience in the middle of the night and say, Lord, I'm tired of struggling with this sinful addiction or, or this habit. I've known people who've dropped some of the stuff that's been a excess baggage in their life. Maybe it was their hat. Maybe it was the habit of losing their temper. Maybe it was language. Maybe it was alcohol. Maybe it was drugs. Maybe it was uh, a wrong relationship. Whatever it happens to be. I've known people who've, by God's grace, been able to get out of that overnight. And I've known others who've struggled with it for a long period of time and continue to go back to Christ and say, I need help. I need help. I need help. There is no formula. There is no quick answer, always. And there is, no, there is no pattern, you do this and this will work. It's just not there. But I do know when we come to God, when we come to Christ, He gives us a supernatural ability to overcome some of the things that really hold us back from being the people that He wants us to be. He does give us that ability. Whether or not we choose to exercise that is a different deal. Or whether or not we choose to exercise that intermittently is a different deal. That, again, comes back to choice. Now, let me just address choice just for a moment because that's a big deal today. People talk about, well, did a person choose to be this way or that way? And and in many cases, they're talking about sexual preference. In many cases, they're talking about alcoholism. And many, usually they're talking about some kind of of a thing like that. But it goes on. Let me tell you something. Most of us, most of us, at least I don't think, really choose to be weak in certain areas. We just are. We all have sort of a bent, B-E-N-T, a a leaning towards certain things that that are not necessarily healthy for us. For one person, maybe just they really have a bad habit of bending the truth. So they go into politics. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, for, for, for For somebody else... You know, they may have a real nasty inclination. I mean, some, some people say, well, I have an addiction to alcohol. It's in the family. Some families, some genes produce people who have an inclination toward that. I don't deny that. Is that a choice? Not always. But it is a choice what we do with it. It is a choice what we do with any of our quote-unquote weaknesses. And I'm afraid some folks in, in, in quote-unquote the church community have missed that whole point, and they say, everything's a choice, everything's a choice. Well, is it a choice how we respond? Yeah, but it's not always a choice to have some of the weaknesses. I didn't choose to have some of the weaknesses I have. Certainly, I would never have chosen that. But again, by God's grace, by God's strength, I can have the power to overcome that. Some people have a problem with temper. You know, some people don't. They have problems with other issues. So you you understand my point here. God gives us the ability, and this is what Jesus is talking about in in John chapter 8, to overcome these destructive actions 
or habits. He will give us that ability. It may be a short time. It may be a long time. Don't know how it works with you. But I know that there is help. There is, if you want to use the term, deliverance in that type of a way. And um, there are many ways that that can happen. So there's no formula. I wish there was. Do this, boom, 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 and there you go. You know, just you think about it, you think through it, you, 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 you stop rationalizing, you, you get your head screwed on straight, and you pray. And you just keep praying, wherever you are in that whole, that whole process. Uh, let me just show you this real quick, because I think it's an important quote. I've used it before, and I'll use it again because I love it. It's from Augustine, and he says this, I have read in Plato and Cicero sayings that are very wise and very beautiful, but I never read in either of them, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Augustine there is referring to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Let me show it to you in the Amplified Bible where Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls. So there you go. One of the first things that Jesus gives us the opportunity to do and to have is freedom to overcome those destructive actions those destructive habits. And some of you have tried a lot of different things. And I would just say this, you know, I'm not going to say that what you're doing doesn't, if it hasn't worked, is, is wrong, but I will say this. If you leave out the element of God, it's going to be very difficult to overcome some of these inclinations that all of us might have in different ways. Second thing. Freedom to overcome destructive actions and habits. Second thing, freedom from destructive people. I'm going to spend just a little bit of time on this because this really has to do also with religion. And that's going to be the first thing. So I'm using this sort of a transition uh, into next week as we start our first in the, in the series of Adventures and Missing the Point where I'm going to be talking about relation, religion versus relationship. More on that next week. So, but you're going to hear, I'm going to do one thing today. I'm going to do it again next week just to kind of make a point. I'll show you what that is in just a moment. Right now, let me just show you this. Freedom from destructive people means this. There are people who, who, who for whatever reason, I don't know their motivations. I'm not the judge. There are people, there are movements, there are churches, there are relatives, there are all kinds of different avenues where this, where this happens where people try to, 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 to hold us back. And there's just a lot of them out there. Okay, now, and let me show you a passage, and before I go there, it's in, it's, in, it's in 1 Corinthians, and in this particular case, the Apostle Paul is talking about some areas of which there is some question in the first century. And the question was, they had this thing that there were these people who worshipped idols, and in part of their worship, they would give, they would offer meat. This is just a phenomenal thing to me. They would offer filet mignons, basically to these idols where nobody's at home, okay? And, and that was part of their religious practice. Well, the people who were sort of the religious people of the time would take those filet mignons and turn it around and say, okay, they offered this to a sacrifice, and they would, I don't know how they would do this, but they would turn it around and, I don't know, put it in the freezer or something or whatever they did then, and then turn around and sell it, you know, at a discounted meat market, you know, meat sacrificed to idols. Here you go, baby. It's, it's you know, cheaper than what you could get somewhere else. What would happen is some people at that point were saying, you know, that's not right. You shouldn't be, even though we don't necessarily believe in idols, you shouldn't eat meat that's been offered to idols. And there were other people who were followers of Christ. Oh, there's nothing wrong with it. This, this is my group. They're like, there's nothing wrong with it. Nobody's at home. Who cares? Eat the filet and don't worry about it. 
what they did with it, all right? Big controversy in the first century church. Big deal. You say, I don't get it. Well, you'd have to understand the culture more, but it was, it was a big deal. So the Apostle Paul is addressing that in this particular passage, and he goes through the whole thing, and I'm just going to take you to one little, little part of it to get you to see what he says, and, and it's this part in Galatians, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says this, I'm not going to walk around, go ahead, I'm not going to walk around, uh, where is, yeah, there it is, I'm not going to walk around on eggshells worrying about what small-minded people might say. I'm going to stride free and easy knowing what our large-minded master has already said. And what the Apostle Paul is getting at is saying, I don't care what people are saying. I'm going to do what God says. And, and, and his point was, you know, I'm going to try to be sensitive, but basically I'm going to eat meat. You know, and, 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 and there's, there's, we could, there's a lot more here than what I'm talking about. But my point is this. There were people who were trying to hold other people back. And, you know, all my life in, 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 in religious circles, I've heard, well, we have to be careful not to make, not to make somebody stumble. Now, I never have really got an explanation as to what that means. The only way I could really make someone stumble is if, if someone has a problem with alcohol and I bring out a bottle and say, oh, you've got to drink it. And one of my friends who's an alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic, uh, says, you know, even then is not an excuse. And, of course, he's been through the program, and he says, he says, one of the things that we say in the program is when people say it was somebody else's fault, he says, unless they tied you down and poured it down your throat, it's not their fault. And that was the way he, he, he described it, which I thought was kind of an interesting point. Here, here's what happens under this whole phrase, I, I don't want to make somebody else stumble. We allow, we allow the squalling minority squealing and screaming and wanting people to live their way to control the others. And that's wrong. Now, do I want to be sensitive to those who might have a problem with alcohol, who might have a problem with, with, with I don't know, cars, and you don't want to take them to a car dealership because they may go buy one or something? Um, be a nice problem to have, wouldn't it? Um, no, no, seriously, though. I mean, what, 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 do we need to be sensitive to that? Yes. We need to be sensitive to that. But the whole other thing is this. We have a certain level of freedom that God gives us that we answer to him and him alone. I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to run over people. But at the same time, I have freedom. And, and I need to enjoy that. And I need to, I need to, I need to think on that. Whether, whatever, in whatever area it happens to be. There are people who get upset about other people. who In, in my life, it's everything from... from drinking, to gambling, to bigger houses, to nicer cars, to better jobs. People who have problems with others because, of, ah, you know, they shouldn't be having that nice of a house. Well, where do you get off? Well, it makes me stumble because I can't have one. You know, that's garbage. I'm sorry if I've heard stuff like this. You know, and that's why it's just like, that's just absolutely crazy. And we do that sometimes in the name of Christianity. And it's wrong. So, by the way, the apostle didn't say this. Read that verse that I have before in Galatians chapter 5. Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. Very descriptive, isn't it? Never again let somebody put a harness of slavery on you. Freedom from destructive people and religion. Christ has come to save us from that. And I love that. Um. I, got, I, I, got, I, I could talk about this all day. I'm not. I, I could. Let me just show you this real quick. Um, 
Colossians chapter 2, and then I'm going to skip the next thing and move on. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. I've used, I, I love this passage, and I'm just going to use a part of it. Colossians 2, 18 says, Don't tolerate people who try to run your life, ordering you to bow and scrape, insisting that you join their obsession with angels and that you seek out visions. There are a lot of hot air. That's all they are. They're completely out of touch with the source of life, Christ. There you go. Not my words, God's words. From the Bible, right there. There you got it, all right? Third thing, very quickly. Freedom to overcome destructive actions. Freedom to overcome destructive people. Freedom to overcome destructive self-absorption, all right? Freedom to overcome destructive self-absorption. You say, what does that mean? Here's what happens. When someone like me talks about this and teaches this in a public platform like this, people will say, and there probably will be some here this morning, if the, probably the next service, you people are much too, much too bright for this. But for those people at 11 o'clock, probably, somebody will probably hit me with this. And that is, you're teaching an antinomianism. You're teaching a lawless freedom to live any way that you want to live. To which I will say, you're right. Because I believe that's what the Bible teaches. Now, let me show you this. Hang on. Hang on. Don't go anywhere, all right? Don't tune out on me because that's an important... You're, you're, you're thinking the wrong thing right now. Uh, the biggest accusation against this teaching is that it will promote antinomian living. And it will. It will if... Don't go anywhere. If you leave out a desire to live in a way that pleases God. If you, live, if you take that out, the whole castle falls down. That's an important concept. A, a desire to live to please God. On the other side, if you have that, it sort of takes care of everything else, doesn't it? Every, every time I do anything with people and they find out I'm a minister, oh, watch out, can't throw our golf clubs, you know. Can't throw my tennis racket. Can't cuss. This is, this is the pastor. Um, and I'm like, hey, I'm not the one you answer to. You know, this is just what I do for a profession. Somebody a whole lot bigger than me, and sometimes they get that little, that little lecture. Um, and it's important. Let me show you this real quick, because this is, this is, this is key. Um, the freedom, this freedom frees us up to live beyond ourselves. It frees us up to live a life that pleases God and to serve others. And that's what it does. And it's a freedom to do that. Because the opposite of that is a slavery, if I want to, you want to use that term, a slavery to self. Let me show you this passage, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. It is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do. And destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. See, if you hear this and you say, well, then I can go live any way I want to live, you missed the point. You can go live any way you want to live. Will God still love me? Yeah, He will. Now, depending on what you do, there may be some consequences that you may not want to deal with because what God has for you is really good stuff, particularly when you live life according to the the ways and, 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 and the standards and the principles that he gives us. It's when we violate those that we get into trouble. Not just into trouble, but it's when we bring heartache and pain and misery into our own lives. 
Ask anybody who's ever had a problem with their temper that didn't have it controlled. Ask anybody who's ever had a problem with lust that didn't have it controlled. Ask anybody who's ever had a problem with alcohol or drugs and didn't have it controlled. Ask them, and they'll say, yeah, I've caused a lot of pain. If I had just done it God's way in the first place, gosh, life would be different. Well, it can be, and you can't go back, but you can certainly do something about now and in the future. Jesus lived, and he suffered, and he died, and he rose from the dead to liberate us, to liberate us from people and from systems that enslave, that trap, that numb our minds. And he came to set us free from our own selfish nature. That's part of the deal too. That sometimes is the hardest part, isn't it? He came to set us free and it is a God-like power. It is, not, it is a God power that can only set us free from our own selfish nature, however that is chosen to be lived out. That's why when we have a relationship with God through Jesus, some really cool things can happen, not just externally, but internally as well. Let's pray together. Lord, these are valuable truths. We can never totally grasp them in our hearts and in our minds unless, unless really it's, it's, it's this inner still small voice, that spirit inside of us speaking to us and, and talking to us and, and causing us to, to think through these things. I pray that we would do that. Lord, I would ask each person here, wherever they are in their life, to think through this. And for some, it's just a matter of saying, Lord God, right here, right now, I want to... I wanna, again tell you, by your strength and by your power, I want to overcome some of these things that I've not chosen to respond to rightly. For others of us here, Lord, it may be saying, Lord, I want to just begin now by trusting you. I don't know, Lord, but you know each heart, you know each person. And I would ask that you deal with each one of us according to our own individual and specific situation. We thank you for that, Lord, and we we thank you in the name of our, our Lord Jesus. Amen.